we just feel it's, it's right that we should go straight now to hear what God has got to say to us through the preach word this evening. So why don't you take your seat or you can, I'm sure you can sit where you are if that's where you want to stay. number of us here um, for this conference from King's Church in Manchester um, and in our awesome and amazing and truly fantastic city, probably the best city in the world. Um, there is another absolutely fantastic and awesome church called Ivy Church. They are great friends of ours and Anthony and, and Zoe uh, Delaney are great friends to me and Judith. Um, fantastic encouragement and support to us. We truly appreciate um, what Anthony, uh, along with the team at Ivy, are building in our city, and not just in our city, but around the nation now through um, the Ivy network, and especially through the work that Anthony does with New Thing Europe. Um, he's an amazing um, man of God, um, he's coming to bring us the Word of God this evening, and I know it's going to be truly fantastic and do us um, a lot of good. So I want to encourage us to open up our hearts um, to receive Anthony and to give him a really great big pioneer welcome. It's Anthony Delaney. Bless you, mate. Thank you. Wow, so good. Thank you very much, Richard. It's great to be here. And I really do um, consider it a privilege to be with you guys. As uh, has already been said, my name is Anthony. I lead a church, or now a network of churches in Manchester called Ivy. I've been there for 11 years. Um, I came back to the city. I was a police officer there for 10 years, straight out of school into the police cadets, and then 10 years as a police officer, plain clothes, drug squad, riot squad, various things like that. Then felt, uh, well, became a Christian through Zoe who is now my wife. She uh, met her in a nightclub. And a long old story, but um, basically I gave her one of the three greatest kisses in history. <laughs> Off the back of that, she became interested. I became interested in Jesus. We ended up getting married, and that's uh, the rest of history. I've um, been in various places. I ended up being ordained. I still am ordained as a Church of England minister and um, retain the kind of credentials for that. But part of um, my journey was to connect with various people who kind of spoilt me for church as normal, one of whom I'm very grateful to who's in the room right now, who is a pioneer, and his name is Gerald Coates. And when um, we were in Surrey, I was there for eight years, um, I connected to Gerald just down the road. He and Anona were very gracious to me. And before long, he started to meet with me and have coffee with me and spend time and encourage me and Zoe in this little church down the road, 11th century building with Sir Walter Raleigh's head under the organ. <laughs> and, uh, you know, organ, robes, choir, just trying to start something a little bit different. And then to get somebody to come alongside you and start to call out of you what God has put into you is something that we must never take for granted and it's something that we have to keep on doing in this new thing network that I'm part of is a good friend of mine called Dave Ferguson who, who's like the leader of it worldwide He's, he runs a thing called Exponential which is a, probably the biggest church planting conference in the western world which I've been to a few times and is just, uh, just finishing as I speak um, but if you've read any of, it, of Dave and John's books his brothers I encourage you to do so uh, Exponential the book is a great leadership book and one of the key fundamental phrases in that, if you like, for unlocking the potential in other people is that the four most important letters, if you like, that you can bring in a leadership conversation to anybody are these. I-C-N-U. Say that. I-C-N-U. To come alongside somebody, and it is a prophetic act to say to somebody else, I see in you this possibility. If you went for it, I see in you somebody who could dot, 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 dot. And as we just heard, God says, dream a big dream when you do that. 
Because very many people, they end up settling for the smaller dream until somebody comes alongside them and has an ICNU conversation. I don't know how many people have had ICNU conversations. I remember once, I can still remember meeting in Buckham Baptist Church with Gerald and kind of sitting there and at one point saying to him, to be honest with you, I don't know why I'm here and why you've called me into this little group with another couple of people to be talking about apostolic leadership because I don't really know what that is. And he said, well, it's what you are and it's what you're going to be. I don't even know if you will remember this conversation, but I can remember it just because it was the Lord that was speaking to me at that moment. And he said, here's why. I see anointings and I see an anointing on you. I went out of that room like 10 feet tall. I was like, Gerald Cope sees an anointing in me. <laughs> Get out of the way. <laughs> I was like, I just felt like I could do anything. I could have a go. The thing is, it isn't just Gerald who has that kind of power to be able to speak that to another person, to another generation. You have that power. Every person here has that power. And when I left there and came to Manchester and suddenly I'm outside of the constraints of a parish system and can just have a go at planting churches, I, I'm kind of just unleashing it in everything as best I can and having these kind of ICNU conversations with people. I met with a friend, a guy who became a friend called Mike Breen around the time I first got to Manchester. And Mike started to say to me, it's time for you now to start passing on the mantle to other leaders. And I'm like, you're joking, I'm only in my early 40s and I'm feeling like I'm just about getting there. And he said, well, you know, you, you've not kind of just made it yourself, have you? And I said, well, you know, I've been to the conferences and I've read the books and I've done the hard work. So he said, oh, so you're a self-made man, are you? <laughs> oh. And at that moment, I, I went back and I thought about people like Gerald and I could name so many others who just happened to be there. Other people, some connected to Pioneer, John and Christine Noble, for instance, people who had come alongside and just given me a word. I wouldn't be in ministry if it wasn't for Christine Noble. Just these exceptional words that come at just the right time. And if you think back through your life, I bet you can think of those people. And through Mike, it was kind of God saying, now it's payback time, and I want you to be one of those who begins to invest in other people, even though you don't feel like you're ready for it, even though you don't feel like you haven't got much to give. Because as a great leader called Andy Stanley says, my job is not my job to fill your cup, but it is my job to empty mine. That's all I can do with other people now. And so I've tried to do that more and more in the last 11 years as we've grown from being one church meeting in one place to being a, a, a small network of churches meeting around Manchester. And um, I'm going to share a Bible reading in a moment um, with you. And if you want to, you can open your Bibles, open your phones or whatever at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14. Because really, if I was just face-to-face -face with you as a leader and could share one story with you and ask you the question in terms of what kind of leader are you, it would be out of this passage from 1 Samuel chapter 14. We're going to get there in a moment. But before we do that, I'm going to link it to a, 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 one of my favorite movies that God has spoken to me through. You know, God speaks to us through all kinds of ways. I don't know about you, but he often speaks to me through movies in different ways. Anybody else? You know, Chronicles of Narnia. I remember crying my eyes out, embarrassing everybody on an aeroplane once watching that one. Just <laughs> over Edmund being crowned. Edmund the just. I'm like, wow. God just speaks such a better word. Die hard too. <laughs> I don't know why. Anyway. But... This film recently, when I went to see it, just spoke to me in so many ways, and I'm going to connect it back into this passage. So we're just going to watch a couple of minutes. I'll jump up halfway through into this clip, because uh, this is the reason when I saw the making of kind of video that made me think, I've got to go and see that film. Okay, here's what, let's watch the film. The First World War. It starts with literally horses and carriages and ends with tanks. So it's the moment where modern war, you could argue, begins. From the very beginning, I felt this movie should be told in real time. Every step of the journey, breathing every breath with these men, felt integral. And there is no better way to telling the story than with one continuous shot. Three, two, one, go! 
From the first moment I talked to Sam about the idea of it as a one-shot movie, I knew it was going to be really immersive. It's meant to make you feel that you are in the trenches with these characters. The film in itself is a slice of time. These two young men get sent on a mission to deliver a message to stop an attack. Action! So they've got to cross into enemy territory on a race against time to deliver a message that will save 1,600 lives. And the camera never, ever comes away from the two characters. There's always that sort of get-out-of-jail card that you have with the movie. Well, you know, we might be able to cut around this, or we might take that scene out. That's not possible on this film. The dance of the camera and the mechanics all have to be in sync with what the actor's doing. When you achieve that, it's really beautiful and exhilarating. Sometimes you have a camera being carried by an operator, hooked onto a wire, and the wire carries it across more land. And it's unhooked again. That operator runs with it, then steps onto a small jeep which carries him another 400 yards, and he steps off it again and goes around a corner. Let's go back to one. Don't want to get you too interested in that. Who's seen the movie? Oh, I loved it. I went to see it twice in the same week. I don't usually do that with films, but I just got so much out of it. I think I have a personal connection to it, because when I was a little boy, my mum would often take me down the road from where we lived, a little place called Ordenshaw, a suburb, well, it's not a suburb, it's a part of Manchester, and well, it's not really a suburb, but um, we would go to Ordenshaw Cemetery, and there was a cenotaph, and on it was this big, tall soldier. And, uh, and, and looking down the list of the names, there would be one, John Pearson, and my mum would say, that's your great-granddad. And I had this picture of this huge soldier, this brave, big guy, and that was my great-granddad, John Pearson. And it's only researching over the years and, and kind of finding out a little bit more about your own personal history that I've realised that actually John would not have been a big man. He was part of the Manchester 27th Regiment, who were those who were signed up after the first lot went, and many of them died. And so these were guys from industrial towns like I'm from, where my mum and my dad and my brother all worked in the same cotton mill. And he was from that same industrial background, so he was part of a regiment which were known as the Bantams, where the height limit, you know, it was five foot three. So this guy, in his mid-twenties, left behind his wife and young children and went to go and fight. And he, he, was, he, he went through the Somme and he went through Passchendaele, which is the same battle that these men went through. And he managed to get through them both and then he was killed just before the war finished. So my mum never knew her granddad. I just have this picture of this incredible bravery and this spirit that would rise up and that would go, and as they, as they just said on there, go into enemy territory. Go in because there's a mission. Go in because there's a message. Go in because it matters. And, and, as, we, and as we were just hearing the Lord saying, pay the price. Do what it takes. Lay down your life. I have two rings. This one's an Old Testament one, this is a New Testament one. This one has my life verse on it, which is something that Zoe wrote in the Bible. When I was first figuring out what it was to be a Christian, I've still got the, the same Bible, and she wrote in the front of it, to Anthony, love Zoe. I thought, oh, good, we're getting there. <laughs> Mark 8, V34. What's that? Then Jesus called the crowd to him, together with his disciples. See, there's a crowd, and there's his disciples. And he said, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's Christianity. It's the call to die if necessary or to live for Jesus, knowing that we're going to live with him forever. So 
First Samuel chapter 14 is a kind of war story, and I don't think that's something that we have to shy away from. I think there was times in which the church has kind of not liked all that militaristic language and those kind of things, and that's probably why we've ended up losing so many battles. Because you start the war in Genesis 3, and it finishes on the last page. Now, a garrison of the Philistines had gone out to the paths of Mishmash. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, come on, let's go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. Let's take this fight to the enemy. But he did not tell his father. There's a reason for that. We're going to find out why he didn't tell his father. Now, Saul, Saul who had a string of failures behind him, Saul who started out with great promise. Saul who was the anointed, the, the head taller than all of the rest of them, the one who stood out from the crowd and was picked and kind of hid away, but then before long he, he didn't completely ever really obey the Lord. He kind of went half-hearted into it. And he, was, he became very concerned about what the people thought. That was always his issue, was... was to Samuel and to other people, will make me look good. He was more concerned about looking good than doing good. And that was why in the end, Samuel came to him one day and said, this is going to be stripped away from you, this kingdom. It's going to be given to your neighbor. It's going to be given to somebody else. But right now, Saul is in trouble. And as a result of that, he's in conservation mode. He's in preservation mode. He actually has a preservation spirit. How do we hold on to what we've got? Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree that is at Migron. The troops that were with him were about 600 men. That's a lot less than he used to have. See, when, you've got a let, when you feel like you're getting less, you just want to hold on to it and keep it close. You don't want to risk any of it. Along with Ahijah, son of Ahitob, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, carrying an ephod. So they've got the God telephone. They've got the opportunity to be able to hear from God. But it's silent at the moment. They're not really ringing God because they know what God's already told them to do, which is to go in and take the land. But they're not doing that. Why? Because of fear. Now, the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. In the pass by which Jonathan tried to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other. The name of the one was Bozes and the other Sena. So there's these two mountains, effectively. You know they're mountains because they're given names. Sometimes we can feel, can't we, like we've got mountains to face. You can tell the difference between whether it's a mountain or a hill. If it's a mountain, you can name it, and with God's help, you can get over it. If it's a hill... You just need to get over it. <laughs> One crag rose on the north, the other to the south. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come on, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will act for us, but nothing can hinder the Lord but from saving, whether by many or by few. That, by the way, is a pioneer spirit. That's the difference. The preservation spirit is hold on to what you've got. The pioneer spirit, pioneer is not the name of a network. Pioneer is not the name of a church. Pioneer is not the name of a book. Pioneer is a spirit. It says, come on, let's go. I challenge you in the name of Jesus to live up to your name. For our sake for the sake of the church in the nation. Because this is what this, this movement has been about since the inception. And it must always remain the same. It must continue to be a provocation. It must continue to say, come on, let's go to the church that often wants to be Saul and sit under the pomegranate tree and wait and see what God will do and hope revival comes. Hope he sends revival. Hope he sends a wave of his spirit praying, hanging on to the ephod. You know, you know during this time what had happened, that somebody, the, the, the enemy had so done a number on them, so got them in fear and into this sense of lack. There were only two swords left in the kingdom. 
Saul had one kind of ceremonial sword. Jonathan had the other. You know this, don't you? They had to go and ask permission of the enemy to go and get anything else sharpened. You've just been having, slowly, slowly, the enemy's chipping away and taking away, and they kind of feel like, now we've got to ask permission of the enemy. And so Saul, he's still trying to, I'm I'm sure his sword looked great. I'm sure his armor looked wonderful and ceremonial. I'm sure he had people around him doing the best they could with what they had left. He had some guy over here with like a really nice cheese grater and somebody over here with garden shears because that was all they could have. But Jonathan's like, you know what? I've had enough of this. I've had enough of us sitting around and waiting. Come on, let's go. However many kind of churches there are in the world right now, really, there's only two kinds of churches. There are Saul churches and there are Jonathan churches. However many kind of leaders there are in the world right now, there's really only two kinds of, ch- two kinds of leaders. There are Saul leaders and there are Jonathan leaders. Which one are you? Which one are you going to be? Which one have you been? His armor bearer said to him, do all that your mind inclines to. I am with you, heart and soul. I'm going to come back to that. That's such a great thing to say. Then Jonathan said, now we will cross over to those men and show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. Because you don't have to fight every battle, do you? If you're somebody who fights every battle, you're just annoying. (laughs) But there are battles that the Lord calls us to fight. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up. In other words, if it's hard, and if there's opposition, and it's vocal, and it's difficult, and we have to go up, that's the sign. Not if it's easy and everybody likes us, and it's all downhill and sunny. See, that's what I want. I don't know about you. I much prefer it like that. I'm not daft. But that's been the problem. We've wanted the victory without the valour. So, both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden themselves. You just hear them despising them. The men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armour bearer, saying, come up to us, we'll show you something. Jonathan said to his armour Bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet. Who said it was going to be easy? With his armor bearer following after him, the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer, coming after him, killed them. In that first slaughter, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed about 20 men within an area of about a half a furrow long in an acre of land. Then there was panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people, the garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked and it became a very great panic. When did that happen? The Lord got going once they had. It wasn't when there's an earthquake and all the enemy are afraid, then we'll go up and do a mopping up operation. See, it's like often, it's like the church has been like this Mexican standoff with God where we've been waiting for him and he's been waiting for us. So I want to take you through the story again and just pull out a few principles which link in with the first 15 minutes only of that film, 1917 which if you've seen it, this will be a reminder, and if not, it won't be a spoiler for you because it'll just hopefully get you to go and see it. First 15 minutes. It starts with a wake-up call. There's two young men, and they're both asleep. And there's a little nudge, and they are awakened to their mission. It's like, oh, sorry, can you put the first slide on, please? Just the first slide. Come on, let's go. That's the call that gets them going. They respond to that call. And they go with what they need to have to the place where they're meant to be. Because that's what soldiers do. When I was in the police, you would do a thing called parading on. Because a lot of the police stuff was 
you know, trained by military people further back. But basically, you would turn up, if I was on a night shift or whatever, I would have to have all the items of my uniform that I needed. I'd have to have my helmet. I'd have to have my pocketbook to be able to record what was going on. I'd have the truncheon. I'd have the handcuffs. If it was nights, I'd have a torch. I had to have all of those things with me. If I didn't, I'd probably be sent home because I, then I was on discipline. You know why? Because I was no use to anybody. You had to turn up where you were meant to be with what you needed to be able to do what you were called to do. I think the church could learn a lesson from that. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up, not just to wake up to what's happening in the world, but to wake up to what's happening in the church. When I was mentored by another guy, a great friend of mine called Tony. I don't know why he was a great friend, because he used to call me the sluggard. When I was in the police, and I, he, I said to him, can you mentor me a little bit? And he had this I see a new conversation with me, but then he said, listen, if you would get up early in the morning, when I pray, you can pray with me and read the Bible. But I get up at like half, between half five and six, and we'll do it for an hour. And if you're not there, if you're late, you're not coming. And I'd be like working three shifts and various things, and sometimes I couldn't come, and sometimes I'd come late. But when I got there late, he just put a sign on the door that said this, Proverbs 6, 6. I didn't even have to look it up. I knew what it meant. It said, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider his ways and be wise. <laughs> sluggard. It's not a nice word, is it? You know, any, any word with slug attached to it, thing is, I wanted to be mentored. I wanted to grow in the things of the Lord. But sometimes we, do we want it enough to get out of bed? Do we want it enough to go to somebody and say, would you teach me? Would you fill my cup? I'll do what's necessary to be able to get something from you. I value the things that the Lord has put in you. I don't want to have to make all my own mistakes. I'd rather learn from yours. Come on, let's go. I think there's a, if it, that would sum up the call tonight for you as a movement and for me too. But this is what I, I, I feel in, in these days called to call the church to. That Jonathan spirit, that come on, let's go. But, but listen, don't go alone. This is a co-mission. It's a co-mission. The two of them went together into this mission together. They set off on this mission. And, and I love it in this, uh, in this passage about how, how Jonathan, who is after all a prince, who is after all royal, knows enough to not try and do this alone. He, he has this armor bearer with him who isn't, you know, he's not just a, like a bodyguard. This would be an incredibly well-trained well-disciplined soldier alongside of him. And so he comes, he's not like his butler, he comes alongside him as a trusted companion. And they have this covenant that goes on between them. I don't know if you've got anything like that going on with anybody in your life at the moment. To make these kind of covenants, to be able to say to somebody, I am with you, heart and soul. I can tell you as a leader, to have anybody say that to me is so important. You know, sometimes I'll give a vision, a big dream for our church. And, and often you get people who will, you get plenty of them who want to come along and kind of go, well, I don't know about that. I'm not sure we got the money for that. Oh, we tried that. That didn't really work. You know? Do you know what? If that's you, you're not needed. It's not helpful. It doesn't add anything. It just takes it away. You call it being cautious. No. Unless you've really heard God. In which case, yes, I, really, I want to hear you. But you better have prayed about it as much as I have. You better have stayed awake at night worrying about that. You better have, have, have put the work in. If you feel it's really not of God, then yes, give me a warning. But otherwise, pray. Keep it to yourself. Just between you and the Lord. Don't pray against it. 
be pleasantly surprised by the size of God and what is possible for those who believe. Because guess what? According to your faith, it will be done to you. I heard, I think, T.D. Jakes years ago, I think it was, who said there's, there's three kinds of people that you can work with. There are people who are compadres, and they are for what you're for. And it's good, you can work with people like that. There's comrades, and they are against what you're against. And again, that's really helpful. And then there are confidants, and they are just for you. You can do so much with confidants with people who you kind of know are just for you. See, Jonathan's armor-bearer, I bet he must have been thinking, to be honest with you, I wouldn't want Jonathan leading my paintball team. <laughs> it's not that brilliant a strategy. Let's go and stand out in the middle where they can see us and shout, come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not brilliant military strategy. But what does Jonathan need? He needs somebody who go, you know what? I'll come with you. I'm with, why? Because I'm with you. I'll come with you because I'm with you. Do the people in your church, do the people here, the people in these different networks that you're part of, do they know I'm with, I'm with you? I'm for you. Because if so, you can go a, a lot further together. And we can do a lot more together. If, and I'm, I'm saying voice it. I'm, I'm actually encouraging you to let people know, to say, just so you know, I'm with you. I believe in you. I'm glad that you're in this position of responsibility. Ness, I think you're awesome. I, I can see God's call on you. I think that the fact that you, it isn't just because you're a woman, but you are an awesome woman of God. And the fact that this network is pioneering in that way is something that massively needs to be applauded and recognised. And then they just get going. Come on, let's go. They don't really have a map. But on this film, what's most important, you see, is not that they have a map, but it's that they have a compass because the battleground is changing all the time. They've got an idea, they know where they're meant to be headed, and they've got a compass to direct them to get there. That's what we need. You see, the culture around us is changing, the world around us is changing far quicker than any, any one of us can ever keep up with. You think, and that's it, this is what happens in the film, they think they're going to go into this particular battle, but it turns into being a different kind of a battle. What they need is the compass they need that sense of a direction. They need a true north. They need a destination that's agreed. This is what the mission is. This is what the mission looks like. We agree on this. Somehow we're going to get there. If you read a great book called Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath, all about communication, really recommend that book. They say that these days the army around the world, the ones that are good ones, have changed what they do. They no longer go into all the detail about what can happen and what might happen and give all those details. They basically say, you know, it used to be go and send X amount of men up this hill, approach from the west, da-da-dum-dum-dum. Now they just say, take the hill. Do it before 12 o'clock. It's like, that's it. This is the commander's intent. That's what they call it, commander's intent. You work out how you're going to do it. This is what you're meant to do. This is the mission. We have got commander's intent. We know what we're here for. We're here to change the world for Jesus. We're here to make disciples who make disciples, leaders, who reproduce leaders to change the world. We are here to have churches that don't just stay in subtraction, but move through addition and into multiplication and start to plant new churches. This is how we win. We have a bias for action. This sounds a bit strange, but I have a friend who's an SAS major. He really is. And he, he talks about the compass point and the, the different... This is like the thing that he works with, is your North Star is the thing that you're called to live for. He's not a Christian yet, but he said, it's interesting, isn't it? Oh, the compass is like a cross, he said to me. I said, yes, that is interesting, isn't it? <laughs> the North is your North Star. It's the calling of God on your life. That's N. S is your strategy of how you're going to get there. W, West, is the warrior spirit. 
it's the battle that you're going to have to fight to be able to get there. And e, your ethos, what will you do and what won't you do in order to be able to get there? I love that. We need a compass. We need to know wherever we're going that we're going to get there if we keep going. Because that's what the compass says. No matter whether I've got to go over a hill or through a ditch or across barbed wire, if I keep going that way, we're going to get there. And to do this requires courage. Because, the next one please. There's this guy, another famous actor, lots of them. I don't know his name, you probably do. But he's in the trench and he's an officer and he's just got, he's got the soul spirit by now. He's, he's kind of given up. He's, he's keeping his head down. He's actually in this area right before no man's land where all the signs say, keep your head down. Who wants you to keep your head down? The enemy wants you to keep your head down. There's signs all around. He says to them, look, you know, you can go if you want. You're going to be killed. He says, here's a flare pistol. When you get shot, throw it behind you. So we don't have so far to come and get it. There's plenty of people who will be happy to tell you it can't be done. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to the voice of fear that tells you to keep your head down. No matter how many times we've been shot at, no matter how many times we've been hurt, I, 2019 for me was the hardest year of my life in terms of ministry. I had more heartbreak, more disappointment, more pain than I've ever, ever had. It was brutal. There were times I just didn't know how we were going to get through it. There were nights I cried pretty much all night. There were, I lost a stone and a half in weight. It, it was, you know why? Because we were not fighting against flesh and blood. It feels like you're fighting against flesh and blood. Because that's who the enemy uses. But those battles were spiritual. And, I, and yeah, I think I was wearing the armour. I don't think I was going through them unprepared. I think I had the helmet on and the breastplate and all those kind of things. But it's still a fight and you still get hurt. Because you know what? Often the arrows are coming from behind. And the swords are sticking in your shoulders. Not in the breastplate on the front. This voice will say, keep your head down, don't risk it. What will people say? What will people think? Don't, don't have another go. You tried that once. Not here, not now, not you. Keep your head down. Have you heard that voice? Anybody? It's a liar. Do not keep your head down. I was reading this morning, it's talking about when the Lord returns. It's talking about the end times. It's talking about pestilences. He's talking about wars and rumours of wars and all these things. And you know what he says? When you see these things approaching, lift up your head. Lift up your head when you see these things happening. Don't, don't you dare put your head down. When you see these things, you know the Lord's coming. The Lord's, the Lord's getting closer and closer to his, his, his soon return, his glorious return. Is anybody getting excited about that? I am so excited. And I think that we're in the best days for the church. Because all these things that people have been putting their hope in are collapsing around them. And we have a hope that endures. We have the only hope that endures. I love it. There's a bit, and then I'm, I'll kind of stop about the film, but just, there's this bit when there's the two of them and the one who didn't really want to go, they're just about to put their head above the parapet. And one of them, who didn't really want to go with his friend, says, okay, I'll go first. I love that. I want to be like that. You know, sometimes, we, I met a friend of mine, Andy Economides, told me that years ago, somebody gave him a car for his ministry, and he pulled up outside a church. It's a really nice car. He'd been running around this old banger for years, and somebody bought him a car. And he pulled up at the car. I'll never forget that he said, there's this little boy sitting on the wall who saw him. He said, oh, that's a nice car. And Andy said, my friend bought me this car. And the little boy said, oh, I wish 
I could be a friend like that. That's different, isn't it? I wish I could be a friend like that. See, this really is a co-mission. Last slide, I think, maybe, nearly. Yeah. This is a co-mission. This is a great co-mission. Because look who comes with us. A friend who who sticks closer than a brother. Who said, I'll never leave you, nor will I forsake you. You will never go into any battle alone. See, the, the, the picture before it was, was the, the director, Sam Mendes. Like we saw in that clip before, he says, you know, we were in the trenches with them filming this. That's why, it, that's why I love the film, because you, you're right there with them. But I love that the director is in the trenches with those who are part of this, because that's just a picture for me. Of, of what the Lord is like. He's not just kind of up there shouting orders to us. He's with us. He is with us. You know, he, he gathered that group of 11 disciples up on some mountain. And it says, and some doubted. So they weren't even the A-team. They're just a bunch of people like you and me. Some of them doubted. I have my doubts sometimes. And Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So, Come on, let's go. Come on, let's go. Let's go to every nation. Let's go and not just get people to come to church. That's always a losing battle. Even though your church might be a bit better than the church down the road. That's not what we're here to do. Compete with other churches and try and be better than them. That's a Saul mentality. That's always going to diminish. That's always going to... We have to go to people who don't know And when we go, we make them what we were once not, disciples. And we teach them. And we mark them for Jesus. And we mature them for Jesus. And then we send them to be out as disciples who make disciples. This is the Great Commission. The director of the story, the one who knows the end from the beginning is with you wherever, whatever the fight looks like. Even now, in the fight that you're in, he's there with you. He's not not going to be. He's going to get you through. You'll never go through anything alone. I'm going to pray in a moment. And, um, and I wanted to, if I can, in a sense, sort of recommission you for the next stage of the fight to, to, to co-mission together and to to co-mission with the Lord and to recognize we have the Lord with us. See, as you carry on in the story with Jonathan and Saul, the great news is this. At one point, when the Lord sends the earthquake, after they've got going, he comes and shows that he's with them. Something happens, if you read on, to Saul and all these, other, all these others who've been hiding away and in the caves and worrying and all that. They're like, hey, Let's follow them. The Lord's with them. Even Saul gets involved. So I don't know whether at the beginning when we were going around that incident about a Saul or a Jonathan, you kind of feel, you know, to be honest, if I've been honest, I've become a bit of a Saul. I've become, I've got into that preservation mentality. I've just been trying to hold on. I commend you in the name of Jesus for holding on. Now, come on, let's go. Now, now, now co-mission, partner up with somebody else, pour into somebody else what you've learned, show them your scars, be vulnerable, be open with them, be real with them. And this, it doesn't have to be, but it, obviously it does include next generations. But we can all learn something together, if we go together. So please rise to your feet. And I want to pray for you, first of all, that if you haven't got it on, that we've got the armor on, because, because this is a wake-up call in the name of Jesus. And first of all, it's something that I just like to do really regularly, is to make sure I've got the armor on. I remember hearing years ago a speaker who I greatly admired, who was a friend, standing up in front of everybody and saying, you know what, I don't need to put the armor on because I never took it off. A year later, he left his wife. His ministry was completely collapsed. I thought, oh, really? I'm going to put my armor on. 
I'm going to make sure my armor's on. So, just spiritually, close your eyes if it helps. Helmet of salvation, know that you are saved. Know that you are saved. You are saved with a great salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. Put that on just so that your mind is renewed by knowing you are saved. Put your hand on your heart. The breastplate of righteousness. See it. Burnished bronze, gleaming gold, bright silver. I don't know what color it is, but heaven sees it, hell sees it. In Jesus' name. Put that belt around. Tie it around. Belt of truth. It's going to hold everything together. When it feels like the world's falling apart, it's truth, gospel truth that holds it together. That's what's going to hold us together. That's going to hold your movement together. Truth, the truth of the gospel, whatever the world says. Let, man, let God be true and every man a liar. Stamp your feet. Shoes, ready. They, you know those hobnail sandals that Roman soldiers wore so that they would be rooted in place. Ready to go with the gospel. Just ready. Stand firm in those. Be rooted where you are. So that at the end of it all, you can stand. When I was a riot squad policeman, you, you got to have the short shield. You know what? I don't want the short shield. I want the big shield. Stand there and hold that shield up. Imagine that great big shield that covers you. Head to toe. You can get behind that shield so that you can advance, but you can't do it alone. We, you, would, you would put that shield and connect it into the person next to you. So again, by faith... See the shield of faith grow in the name of Jesus. Let that shield of faith grow. It will extinguish every fiery dart of the enemy. All those lies that have been coming against you, in the name of Jesus now, I cut them off in the name of Jesus Christ. All of those attacks, I take them away from you in the name of Jesus Christ. And I recommission you to stand as a soldier of Christ. In the place to which he's called you, you must stand with what he's given you to fight for, the, for what he's called you to fight for and to win the victory in the name of Jesus Christ. Sword of the Spirit, raise it up. This is just knowing the word as well as wielding the word and prophetic words. It's being willing. Some people have dropped your sword. You know, you, this isn't like... I'm not despising anything, but like a, a, a line or two out of some devotional. This is, if that's, a, like, that's like a Swiss army knife. I don't want that. I want a great big sword. So grow that sword in the name of Jesus. Wield it well. Hold it in the middle, because prophetically, just recently, I felt the Lord giving me like a, a, a double-edged sword that goes like this both ways. It's like it goes both ways. In, so I can cut right through the enemy. I can cut through the enemy rank in the name of Jesus. Just like we saw Andy doing with that stick before. In the name of Jesus. We're not meant to just hold ground. We're meant to advance. Take a step forward in the name of Jesus. We are meant to advance. We are made to advance in the name of Jesus. You are pioneers in the name of Jesus. I call you to pioneer in the name of Jesus. I call you to take ground in the name of Jesus. I call you to push through in the name of Jesus. I call you to defeat the enemy in the name of Jesus. I call you to take ground in the name of Jesus and to hold that ground in the name of Jesus. Advance in the name of Jesus. Move forward. Do not be afraid. Do not give way to fear. I sent some people, there's fear coming in and it's attacking your mind. Put your hand on your head. Declare, I have the helmet of salvation in place. I am saved. I am loved. I am, my father loves me with an everlasting love. There's nothing that can separate me from his love. Move forward in the name of Jesus. Take some ground in the name of Jesus. If you can't do it in here, you won't do it out there. Take a step forward in the name of Jesus. Advance in the name of Jesus. Shama sabaka in the name of Jesus. We were talking before about worship being our, our weapon. And I remember Gerald telling me a story years ago about how he was with Noel Richards and he came round to his house. Did the band want to come up? And, uh, and he, he said, oh, there's a, Noel was saying, I, I could do with another song, I think. And Gerald said, well, I think I might have one. Write this down. And, and he started the words of this song. 
And uh, Noel, I believe, was like, oh, nobody's going to want to sing that. But you know what? This came to me this morning when I was preparing and praying. I asked if they could get this ready because it, it's a now song. It's, a, it's not a song from yesteryear. This is a now song. You, you're going to, as we sing this, we're going to declare it into what's happening now with coronavirus and with all of these fears and, and all of these things that are coming to, to, to make us the same as everybody else. I don't want to be the same. I, was sa- I wasn't saved for an ordinary life. I've been saved for extraordinary exploits. The people who know their God will do mighty exploits. I know my God. I'm made for extraordinary exploits. I don't want to go to the grave with anything left in me. I want to pour it all out for him. And this song, when he wrote it down, and, and, uh, and Noel apparently was puzzled, like, what great is the darkness that covers the earth? Who's ever going to want to sing that? But you know all of these things, when we see them coming, lift up your heads. We have a great commission. We have a great, one day we're going to sing it, our great commission complete. Then face to face we will meet. But until then, come Lord Jesus, pour out your spirit on us. Pour out your Spirit on us, we pray. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us, we pray. Lord, I recommission this Jonathan generation with the same Spirit that this song was birthed in. It's not a different Spirit. This isn't the old Spirit. This is not an old Saul Spirit song. This is the Jonathan Spirit that birthed this and marched for Jesus and so many other great things that have come out of this. It's always been the Jonathan spirit. I say to that Jonathan spirit in the name of Jesus, arise in pioneer. Let the Jonathan spirit arise in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's go. Say it, come on. Let's go. Come on, let's go. Come on, let's go. Amen. Amen.